Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Just after 1 p.m., Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Always, always, always wonderful being here. It was really, really great to meet some of you last week at the gathering. My comrade Greg Nicholson is here with me. Greg, how you doing? I'm not sure after last week, are we comrades, are we fighters, are we Democrats? What's the verdict? I think caters. I think I'm going with caters. It's got a nice ring to it. Especially because I always kind of want to say caters. I think it is cadre, but we say caters. My mind is said caters, so I'm just, I, I'm sticking with him. Why? What are you trying to say? That Musi, Musi is the authority on French-derived words in English? So I don't have a comeback for this, but I did find it interesting that Penny Sparrow has, a, I think, a crowdfunding platform to pay off her situation. Of course. Of um, course. You have a situ- You have a, a history of going head-to-head with people who run fundraisers. Can we expect a Twitter run from you? I was just looking at the... the I got an email, a press yeah. release now from um, Sanko about that issue, but I hadn't heard about it before, but I don't think so. What's the... What's I think- a, have you had a chance to read it? What does it say? No, it's just it's just Sanko, so the South African uh, National Civics Organization yep. um, slams sort of they're they're very unhappy that Penny Sparrow after uh, I think it was one hundred and fifty thousand rand fine mm, from mm, the Equality mm. Court uh, last Friday for um, for her comments. I think it was in January, a racist mm. comments about uh, uh, black beachgoers in Durban. Um, Basically, they, monkeys and messing up the whole. Beach. I think yeah. so. Them just saying how how disappointed they are that. People are rallying around what a court has said is a racist. All right. So you know, if, you, if you've been if you've been dying for a way to contribute to the Penny Sparrow cause, check out. For do her. not do not connect with us. <laughs> do not connect with us, and 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 find the crowdfunding platform. Um, anyway, as I was saying, we had the gathering last week, which was a wonderful opportunity to really bring um, sort of the, you know people in power and people decision makers around the country from the leading parties to one place. So we had. Um, very senior leaders uh, and often the party leaders of the DA, the EFF, the ANC in one place and also the, the mayoral candidates too. So we'll be talking about that for the next hour and just looking back at the highlights. Um, um, what surprised us? What was, you know, what was what we expecting? And also maybe some of the best in- insults. Simon Allison uh, from our team was saying we need to do a ranking of the best insults. So we might jump <laughs> into that. I'm not sure. I'm actually quite an odd guest from the Daily Maverick for you to have on this show because anyone who's checked the Daily Maverick website in the last day or two would, would notice that I was doing photography at the event. So and that's why you know, I can, I can comment on the lighting, composition, whatnot. I, I, I don't have a, a vocabulary of photography, so I'm gonna, I think shut That's why speed. I'm here, I guess. Shut the speed. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Well, really, we want to hear from you. Please, please, please call us on 0861 Our producer Duncan is on the, is on the, is on the hotline ready to hear from you. Also, tweet us an ADM show that day. It was really great to meet some of, you know, our Twitter peoples, um, in person. Sweeps. So, tweeps. Oomf. Oomps. One of my followers. I'm told that's the thing. My little sister told me. Anyway. To jump right into it, first, um, we'd like to lead with, with, with playing a clip of, of, of one of the speeches from party leader of the EFF, uh, Julius Malema. Um, so we're gonna play this five, six minutes and then sort of da- jump into, you know, our sort of takeaway from that. Just give me a sec. This is always interesting to watch Kingsley try and, and handle the, the soundboard. Uh, this program took us away from the real program of elections where we're speaking to our people about the importance of bringing about change. Should I, should I just give some banter? Different constituency which will ordinarily and only get to see here where people pay for chess to come and listen to politicians speak. So for me, it's a different constituency altogether and then it's a, it's an opportunity to really 
hear from the other side. And I was asking Ranjani if uh, you are going to be given an opportunity to ask questions because I would want to sit in a meeting where one day you are given an opportunity to ask us questions and we respond to you because uh, sometimes we do not understand where you come from because the way I come from, our problems are not the same as you. But I'm happy that uh, you had this event a few days before the commemoration of the 40th anniversary of the June 16. A June 16 where young people engage in a rejection of apartheid and white domination. And they said they don't want to be taught in Africans. And the demand for them not to be taught in Africans was not just a rejection of Africans, but was a rejection of white dominance and a rejection of privilege that comes with being an Africaner. And uh, we have seen the re-emergence of the same demand in the University of Pretoria, in the University of Free State, in many universities where many young people have said we are tired of Africans being given a privilege over other languages. And it is not something new. Because the teaching of Africans is actually creating an impression amongst white people that they are the special ones and therefore they are not people like all of us. And uh, we think that uh, the continuation of this struggle is very important because it seeks to create equality in our society. We have a responsibility to ensure that we fight for an equal society. But we cannot be an equal society if others are given preference over us. And how are they given preference? Their language is preferred over our languages. And when we say Africans must fall, it doesn't mean Africans must not be spoken. It means Africans should not be given preference and should not be a language of privilege and power. It must be equal to all the languages in South Africa. That's what 1976 demanded. And all of a sudden you want to embrace 1976 and do not want to embrace the demand for the Africans to fall in the institutions of higher learning. That is being a hypocrite. Because what the students are asking now is the same thing they asked before. The same thing with roads must fall. The same thing with the changing of street names and all that. What is this struggle about? The struggle is to do away with a, a, a white privilege and white dominance in our society. We will never do away with white privilege and dominance if we do not confront it. And if we do not conscientize society that naming places after people who presided over black genocide and promoted apartheid, will actually make white people think they are more superior than us. And we don't want that. So I came here not to please anyone. I'm here to speak the truth. Whether you like it or not, it's your own baby to feed Malta Bella. I'm not in the business of going around to please people. I only tell the truth. Now, I, am, I, I represent a non-racial organization, but we do not fight for white people. Why? Why should we fight for them? What do you want? What do they want? When you say you are fighting for all in South Africa, black and white, what do white people want? Except to want to remain in a position of privilege. That's what they want. They want to remain in a position of privilege and we are rejecting that. 
There is no white person who is going to remain in a position of privilege. We must all be equal. And in bringing the equality, we have to take deliberate decisions to empower the less privileged to be at the same level with those who are privileged. And that's what the EFF manifesto speaks about. Why should we build bicycle lanes? For what? White people demand bicycle lanes even when there is no cycling culture in South Africa because they just want something to be done in their areas. Why? Because we are the ones who are paying the high taxes and rates. So something must be done here. You just want things to happen in your areas because you are paying. But there is a huge constituency of people without water and electricity. You must be ashamed that you want bicycle lanes. There are people without flushing toilets. That's what you are, that's what you are so... principal came here to tell you before me. And, and he speak everything nice. We are here to crush white dominance. We are here to create an equal society. And crushing of white dominance does not mean hatred of white people. It means the deliberate effort to liberate the black African majority which is oppressed. And that is not division. Division is when you protect white privilege to the exclusion of black majority. And no one, not Musi, not Zueli, represent that agenda. None of them is committed to stand before you and tell you that we want to bring to black people to the same level with you. All right. So that was just an excerpt from Julius Malema's uh, speech at the gathering last week. And what I really found fascinating on this, Greg, was, I mean, right from the start, the first thing he says, a uh, small dig at the audience, which was... Um, this has taken us away from, from the business of campaigning, the business of meeting our people. And this is a place where people have paid for their seats. And that, you know, ordinarily wouldn't be a major talking point. But I think, I think just that line was sort of putting, putting a lot of middle class people, um, and perhaps even a lot of white minority people in their place in regards to what, what constitutes the majority of South Africans. And this is something Sisonke Mzimang said a bit later during the, the temperature check panel. In just saying, let's acknowledge that when we are on the road speaking to everyday South Africans, doing the work, that that's not you. Um, that, that's what I took from that. And it's, it's a sort of small dig, like you're paying for your seats. Um, when, when they're community meetings, and he says a bit later, and it's not in the clip, that when we have community meetings, a lot of, a lot of you don't come. Um, when we're engaging voters, a lot of you don't come. When we have rallies, a lot of middle class people don't go. A lot of white people don't go. Um, and I think that's, that's partially what I, I really took away and loved about, about Julius's sort of segment was, was, was reminding people their place when we are talking about the challenges of the country. So when we're talking about education, when we're talking about, about healthcare, when we're talking about food security, that it's almost I'm not talking about you. And not to forget that. When you get outraged and you're like, this country is, go is going to the dogs and everything's terrible. It's, it's almost that, I don't say belittling, but almost putting someone in your place and saying, remember who we are talking about. When we talk about majority South Africans, when we talk about everyday South Africans, remember who we're talking about. And I, and I found that super interesting. 
Yeah, I think I think um, at the beginning of his speech, he yeah. said he felt it important to be there because because the audience had sort of quite a mix of um, I think it was mostly middle and or middle upper class, yeah. uh, but also a little bit of a mix of of different sort of representatives there. But he. I think he said that he felt it important to come and speak to sort of an audience that he may sometimes not necessarily address. Yeah. Although, although Julius Malema does get around to all sorts of, all sorts of places and all sorts of audiences. I, th- he's, I don't think he's afraid. I mean, interview at Oxford or something once, right? So he, well, even, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he gets well, much, yeah. not even Oxford. Like yeah. Oxford seems to be one of the more normal yeah. ones even, <laughs> okay. but yeah, he's, he gets to some crazy yeah. places, but he's certainly not afraid to speak to anyone and give his views to sort of everybody. And I think, I think the line he took in that little sort of segment that we played just then um, sort of reflects something that's been going on, you know, sort of in the last couple of years in the country, which is about, and I think is actually one of the sort of key themes of the gathering too, in sort of a sort of different, um, different iterations about how, how people at the moment seem, or, or a lot of people in the country seem much more willing to confront this sort of past idea of um, of reconciliation um, and togetherness, and I think in in Julius's clip where he says that the EFF is a non-racialist organisation, but mm. we do not fight for sort of the interests yeah. of white people. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the key key sort of takeaway points because that's quite separate from anything the ANC would yeah. say, and certainly certainly far away from anything the Democratic Alliance might say, but. I think it sort of it sort of fits into this this sort of broader change in narrative and broader sort of movement going on of look we've had 20 years of democracy but not enough has changed both on the socioeconomic levels as well as and, and those levels are represented still largely by race of the different yeah. classes yeah. and and in sort of societal interactions those the sort of stratified yeah. racial, socio-economic differences often manifest themselves in completely different racial interests and often racism. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the one thing that he brought up, and I and and I think it's credit to the EFF for for picking the metaphors that sort of the the, the day would be fought on, and the whole the bicycle mm. lanes thing became a became a theme throughout the whole day and that kept being referred to. So Julius's line was, you should be ashamed when you're demanding bicycle lanes in your neighborhood when people don't have flushing toilets. And I think that was very clever of him. He took that line, I think, at the EFF manifesto launched Orlando Stadium a few weeks back Mm. as well. And I think it's a very, very smart sort of position because because when we do talk about people who don't have basic services, when a city's spending money on bicycle lanes... It seems ridiculous. Obviously, everybody, it's easy for everybody to understand, yeah. like, oh, why, you know, why it could be a ridiculous. Yeah, thing. that, that sort of seems crazy, particularly because there isn't a huge cycling culture in, in Johannesburg. Um, and at the same time, he also links it back to the, to the point of sort of racial, um, racial class differences. So, so it's not only about, oh, the city's wasting money on something we don't need. It's about you white people are continuing to demand things for yourself at the expense of of the poor majority, and I think that that sort of line, and I'm, I think we can talk a little bit more about the bicycle lanes issue when we talk about the mayoral debate for yep. Johannesburg, because yep. because Mayor Parks Tau had a quite a okay. No, we can jump into that now. Yep. So I think Mayor, Mayor Parks Tau, I think it's quite interesting in terms of where this this policy of sort of bicycle lanes comes from, and and how the city is trying to sort of fits into the city's 
future fu- sort of future envisioning of, of what Johannesburg yeah. should be and trying to trying to promote uh, multiple modes of transport yeah, between the BRT to avoid and the hard train making local taxis safer and then the bike and, lanes yeah. and also to to hopefully promote um the reduction in use of in use of cars yeah. because to to free up space on the roads and congestion um and also to to with bicycle lanes to hopefully, I think this is how the city sees it, as they try to sort of fill what they call the corridors of freedom and create nodes of, of sort of development, both business and residential in areas that previously sort of existed between the white suburbs and black townships and, and the huge economic sort of business, business hubs. Um, to have bicycles as, as one of the key modes of transport in between those sort of little areas and fitting into sort of the vision of a future Johannesburg. And I was talking to someone, um, from, I think it was the South African Cities Network yesterday who, who criticized Julius's, uh, position on these bicycle mm. issues because he said he clearly doesn't understand the, the future of how cities must be, how we must work towards these things. And he also hasn't looked at, you know, because there's this thing, and all of us said, sort of like, you've never seen anyone riding, you've never seen anyone using yeah. bicycles. Suddenly, like that's that. what everybody thinks. Like, yeah, no one actually rides a bike. So, yeah. so, so Parks Tao yeah. uh, criticized that that sort of stance, yeah. and and supposedly studies have shown that some guys are riding. You know, they ride from Tembisa to, to the city center in Johannesburg and stuff, yeah. and sort of, and people are using bicycles, but they need to be promoted more and assisted to use more. But still, it's such a great. It's sort of a difference of, 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 of pointing out sort of the city and the NC as yeah. this big, um, big plan of what they're trying to do with the city to, to what the EFF and Julius is really trying to do is just point out, no, things right now are wrong. We have to sort of fix the basics first. And, and whichever way you sort of look at it and whichever way they sort of go, it's still a great positioning point from, Absolutely. from the EFF side because it's, it really does resonate. And I think, I think you won a lot of people over with that. With that sort of line. That was a beautiful sort of, you know, sort of metaphor. And I, and I think a lot of people sort of took a second to be like, wait, what are the things that I demand for locally? Just taking that second of saying, do I spend most of my time complaining about potholes or like, and not to say those things are not important, but it, it sort of makes you contextualize. What are the things I'm mostly complaining about? Um, when my Wi-Fi is slow and there's a pothole outside my thing and so on. And how, how important is that to most people in the country? Am I really? Am I really using my, my middle class sort of influence and power and money in the best interest of everybody else? And I thought that was just such a beautiful way to sort of put people in their place, so to speak. Um, as you've said, not necessarily true. I mean, Pakistan mentioned specific communities by name and listed them places that have demanded sort of cycling, uh, infrastructure that started their own sort of cycling clubs before the government came in. So it's, which, which weren't white suburbs. I mean, of course not. It wasn't yeah. green side. It was like, it was actual place where people need them and, and, and I think that's the beauty of, you know, I suppose that's politics, right? It's, it's in the, it's in the rhetoric and the sort of, sort of beautiful metaphors that capture stuff rather than the facts always. All right. Next up, our friend Aloysius, uh, uh, Musi Maimani. I'm just gonna play a play quick. <laughs> it's like Aloysius? Oh yeah. You thought he was about to walk in. All right. Playing it now. Out of 10 of them are run by the deer. If you took the same stat, out of 10 of them are run by the deer. If you took the same stat and you looked at the 10 West, I think it's fair for you to conclude which party is running that. It's quite an exceptional achievement when you consider the fact that we currently govern 26 out of, of more than the 200 municipalities in South Africa. When we look at unemployment as an example, the greatest challenge we face today, according to the latest quarterly, lev- le- uh, quarterly labor, f- labor force survey by Stats say, 
the Western Cape's unemployment rate is 23%. That's the expanded unemployment rate, which includes almost those who want to work but have given up looking. The national expanded unemployment rate is 36.6%. The differential is almost 11.3%. It proves which government, in fact, can deliver jobs. In Gauteng, right here, the Deer-run municipality of Midval has an expanded unemployment rate of 18.8%. Whilst other Gauteng municipalities, this ranges from 24% to 35%. The message is clear. Where the Deer governs, jobs are created. In fact, where the Deer governs, People have the highest access to basic services and particularly the free portion of those services. The Stats SA Household Survey census released this week confirmed that when it found that over 98% of poor households in the Western, in the Western Cape have access to a basket of free services. That is more than 50% better than the average in South Africa as a whole. And the strongest proof is that the DA is improving the lives of South Africans, particularly in poor communities. The reason why the DA is successful in delivering services because it runs a clean and a more efficient operation. The DA does not co- tolerate corruption and waste. And this translates into direct benefits for communities. If you want a clear indication of this, in fact of levels of corruption in government, then you looked at the unauthorized, fruitless and wasteful expenditure. In the ANC-run metros of Joburg, Chuan and Nelson Mandela Bay, this figure sits at 2.2 billion in 2014-2015. In the Deer-run city of Cape Town, that figure sits at zero. 21 of the 26 Deer-run municipalities received totally clean audits, unqualified audits without findings. Fellow South Africans, I think the facts speak for themselves. Poor South Africans are better off where the DA governs. All right. As mentioned, that was DA party leader, Musi Maimane. This is a short segment from a speech last Friday. Um, for me, just listening to that, that was, for me, just sort of the DA sort of campaign machine at its finest in the sense of the facts, the facts and figures, saying nine out of, nine out of the ten best governed municipalities um, in the country are, are run by the DA, saying that it's an independent report, talking about the the unqualified audits they've received talking about fruitless expenditure and it's 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 the it's the facts it's one of those things of if you if you're sitting there and you don't look up those the, the 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 details yourself you're like this sounds pretty hard to argue with you know what he does leave out and and reading that governance report it mentions clearly that a lot of the worst run municipalities um that are that are ANC governed are in former bantustans and saying that if you look at where they're starting from there is nothing there um, and not saying that therefore everything has an asterisk on it. But there are more complications Absolutely. to these, these statistics once you sort of unpack them. Absolutely. And if you look at them and you look at sort of the, the some, some of those terrible term municipalities where something like water is a luxury, electricity is a luxury, and really, really basic things are not there. Um, they're starting from just such a low base. Um, but it's, it's really hard to, to argue with, without looking further when you're seeing that kind of confidence and seeing the track record. And that's, that's always going to be, that what the DA at least for now has has on the EFF, they can point, they can point to statistics, they can point to, they can point to the track record and saying, listen, A B C D, this is where we were and this is where it looks like now. No, I think uh, uh, my money did quite well in terms of his performance at the gathering on Friday. He. He came with a prepared speech as he usually does, and was sort of pre- pretty snazzy in his Obama-esque sort of tone. Um, and 
I I agree with you. When when the DA guys list all of those statistics, you sort of think like, particularly when we hear so so often, especially the circles Kingsley, you and I sort of roll around in, um, such criticism of the Democratic Alliance's uh, governance in Cape Town, particularly oh, yeah. from the from the inequalities, um, both class and and racially, and. And it's hard, it's hard not to experience that when you're there yourself because it is quite jarring. Um, I, I, th- I personally think it's more, feels like more of a jarring experience than being in Johannesburg when you see the differences in how, how different types of people live and, and their different sort of lived experiences. But then you hear these sort of t- statistics of, you know, of Cape Town had something, you know, like well, most, most DA run municipalities have, um, like almost no or zero, wasteful, useless, and irregular expenditure. Yeah. When when they have a very high delivery rate of services, when when they have a, a I think it's I think it's the largest amount of um, poor people getting free services. These sort of things like that. It sort of it sort of makes you question. Also, I think the lowest unemployment rate. Yeah, it's um, a low under twenty if you take the narrow definition in Cape Town. Yeah. And so, sort of, a, it makes you sit up and and. I think what they're trying to put across is that they run governments well, they're efficient, and vote vote for them, and we're going to keep stability while making improving things as we go and trying to grow the economy of of sort of the area. Um, I think there's still a lot of people that sort of won't believe them and what they say, and mm. I think I think essentially we need a lot of hard. I don't think we've had this yet in this sort of election campaign because because the in the lead up to the local government elections been so dominated by national politics yep. you know everything about um mm. Jacob Zuma Julius Malema Musa Maimani and 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 the economy largely i think as well that's been a huge talking point in terms of the downgrades um the the sort of low gdp prediction and and i think we need to actually get into some of these figures and look at Really sort of unpack and break down this sort of stuff. And I think you made a good point in terms of, so if you, if you look at a former Bantustan, starting off a very low base, how, and perhaps whoever runs it, yeah. we can, we can sort of look at some of these different municipalities and different governments, their, their track record over the 10, 10 or so years. Yeah. And I think that, that would be a very good way to analyze these things because, you know, they're, we're talking about different sort of, different dynamics across the country here. And I think we need to start getting some real, and ho- hopefully we'll, we'll start bringing this at Daily Maverick, some really hard analysis of the different experiences in different um, municipalities across the country and what works and what doesn't. But I think the other key key thing that sort of um, um, that Musa Maimani tried to bring, and Herman Mashaba later too, mm. uh, about uh, the DA sort of election pitch, is sort of not only do they say that where they run, they do it better. Things work, yeah. I think they're also really pushing that stability thing. And I think, uh, Musa Mani's line was, I think that we're going to, well, change will come through the ballot and not the bullets. Yeah. And so, so he, he was really painting the ANC as this sort of corrupt, inefficient, ineffective, um, um, party that has, mm. has failed to, to address you know some of the things that really should have done better on in terms of um edu- the, the lack of education um huge unemployment rates the the dwindling economy um and then i think they're on the other hand it's paints painting the EFF and i think um my money spent a fair bit of time in his speech actually talking about the EFF just saying that if they came into power um it would it would either be chaos and violence 
um, or their sort of socialist-leaning policies would lead to a complete sort of breakdown he, of the like, economy. He basically summed up their manifesto. saying the EFF manifesto says everything is free and that's impossible, so it's going to be a disaster. And secondly, they will they will likely try and take power. And he, these are not his exact words, but he alluded to them trying to take power by the bullet over and over again. Well, obviously, yeah. sort of alluding to um, Julius Malema's... Yeah, the Al Jazeera like, line? Yeah, rhetoric that um, that if need be, we'll, we'll take, take, take this uh, government through the barrel of a gun. Okay. I'm supposed two quick things before we sort of move on. It's just sort of one is, I like that you mentioned the idea of sort of national politics clouding sort of some of the issues. And I think this came up in one of the panels. Um, we wouldn't have a chance to play that. Just this idea of political noise and how much time we spend on scandals, how much time we spend trying to decipher whose faction is on whose faction and who's fighting with who and whose allegiance with who. And th- and not to say those things are not important, right? We'll talk about the Gupta family, those are things are important. And the NPA, those things are all important. But what what do we lose when all our attention is on scandals and on factions and always at a national level and not on specific issues? Um, so I think perhaps, not I th- not perhaps, but I think that probably we as the media need to sort of find a way to keep keep an eye on national national politics and national trends and and and, and those scandals and what's going on, but still not lose sight of of the details. Mm. We haven't had a, a detailed conversation about employment across municipalities and how much work, how much of employment can actually be done by a municipality. Nobody asked that question. I don't think we're even having a deep enough conversation yeah. of the role of. Um, municipalities across the country or particularly the role of our big cities because in terms of South Africa's future and development, they've got a huge role to play and often... All cities aren't created equal, right? Certain it, cities it, it's are, right, yeah. but, but they're, they're in, t- in terms of the future of this country and and how we experience li- livelihoods in this country, cities have an enormous role to play and and I think often we're just sort of talking about things at a broader national level, sometimes a provincial level, but often without getting really down into... Debating and talking about what that role is, what it should be, and how it can be optimized. Um, yeah, but I think you're right. We do need to, as the media, look at finding a balance because you can't ignore some of these big uh, national issues. Um, but finding a balance with um, with sort of really hitting hitting sort of, I guess, deeper sort of stuff on localized issues. But one note on sort of who I think um, focusing on the sort of these yeah. national issues often. Uh, affects worse. Yeah. So, obviously, I, th- I think I think with, without enough local knowledge, all all sort of citizens, um, residents, and voters have a paucity of, of of information. But I think the worst it, it it's really bad. I think for the ANC because the ANCs aim to tell their good story, and and in many places they do have you know positive things to tell, and and you can debate how much they should have done, and perhaps what should have been achieved. But they, there is a, a, a sort of body of work and, you know, an experience that, that they have that can at least be packaged to really show that how this country has improved. And I don't think anyone can argue that the country has improved Absolutely. in, you know, a little bit over 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sort of put that on display and show here, this is what we've done, you know, like I think if, if you look at sort of how many people have ac- access to water, sanitation, electricity, housing, um, is the numbers are enormous. Yeah. There's still a long way to go, but 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 it's you know it's reasonably impressive. But because of all these scandals, it's hard to trust somebody saying, "Hey, there's a good story to tell," and this is what right. we're seeing mm-hmm. when it's the, when the the national dialogue is so scandal prone. Absolutely. 
Um, I'd like to just dig into the mayoral stuff just very quickly. Um, and Greg, I'd like to hear from you on this because when Herman Mashaba, the sort of sort of DA, pro- proposed for 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 the for the mayor position, was first launched his campaign, you sat down with him, um, and in talking to you after and reading your article after, it really I got the sense that he hadn't really started. That <laughs> he 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 found out he opened his email and realized that he was going to be the guy, and he was trying to make a plan. And he had no details on policy. He had no details on strategy. And and the argument then would have been, if we're going to be very forgiving citizens, was that he's, he just started giving him a chance to figure it out. We saw him go up against Pakistan and Floyd Jivambo on Friday. And it didn't sound to me like a lot has changed. That was shocking. When I, you're right. When I did first sit down yeah. with him uh, shortly after he announced his mm. his candidacy for mayor for, for Johannesburg for the Democratic Alliance, yeah. You know, he's sort of, he's, he's got a reasonably high public profile. He's a, you know, he's a reasonably charismatic guy. Um, you know, he's a, he's a talker and he, you know, he has his own sort of personal story that he can sell. But my impression went, um, at that, at that time was that in terms of his politics, at that stage, there wasn't much depth. There wasn't much behind that. And sort of my view was, let's see what happens. I think he literally said, I haven't had a chance to sit down with my team yet. Mm-hmm. And then, you're right. His performance at at the gathering on Friday was poor to to be kind. Um, I mean, I remember once um, for maybe the third or fourth time when he started a sentence with saying, "Let me tell you about my journey" or something of the sort. He, he was even doing that. So, so, so for listeners yeah. who don't know, he was um, the the founder of Black Like Me and other businesses, a big businessman and quite successful. But he kept on going back to his personal story, even when it was irrelevant and he'd told it again. So it's sort of like, how are you going to build Johannesburg? Well, let me tell you about how I grew up. So what are we going to do about corruption? Well, let me tell you about how I built some businesses. Sort of, you know, you can do it once, but it gets fairly tiring. I think the general trend is supposed to be that he worked hard, he got a job, he worked himself up the corporate ladder, and then he left and he started a business. And and I suppose his campaign strategy um, is, my reading of it is, you know, if I can do it, you can do it too. And let's get sort of young people to go out there and, and make stuff happen. But I just think people weren't buying and there was a lot of DA supporters in that room and even didn't sound like they were buying. Even the ones I spoke to after, uh, most of them yeah. seemed to be quite impressed with, uh, Mayor Park's Tao. And I think that was, that also, um, really sort of showed, uh, showed up sort of Herman's, uh, Herman Mashaba's knowledge because, on the one hand, we have the executive mayor who has been around for a long time, um, has been in the Johannesburg administration for a long time, and really does know a lot about about what's happening I mean, in the more city. More than anyone, if we're going to be honest, he knows the facts, he knows the figures, and he can list them off. He's also, and he's not, he's not the most charismatic guy. Not to say that he's boring, mm. but he can. He sort of he comes across as a technocrat, yeah. and that also builds trust. So, and then, so while he's able to sort of is able to sort of show those that that sort of good story, or at least explain what the city yeah. is doing. In extreme detail. Then Herman Mashaba, I think his sort of lack lack of knowledge, or well, or at least on the stage that lack of knowledge. I'd hope to hope like I'd hate to think that he hasn't learned anything in these months since since he announced his candidacy. But was he was sort of sort of sitting next to him, and I think the the real moment of that debate came when uh, Mashaba was complaining about the city's the city's corruption. And saying, you know, I think it was like the corruption is holding back the economy. Corruption in, in the city administration is, is restricting our development of jobs. And then Stephen Hurtas, who interviewed him, said, okay, tell us one instance of corruption in the city. 
And I think he paused. Stephen said, tell us one. And then Mashaba paused again. And then he sort of, after a second or two, blurted out of of, of Martin, the the JMPD, which I think was quite a weak, weak example considering what pedestal he put the issue of corruption on. And, and perhaps some members of the DA now are asking themselves whether once again they've chosen the high, a candidate with high profile over the right politics. Okay. Next up, we're going to just play a short segment from, from who was, I'd say, headlining the guy. I'm not sure if that's, can you use the headlining? I don't know. But sort of, the, sort of the last speaker to sort of, to sort of take us on at the end of the bit, which is Finance Minister, uh, Praveen Gordon. And we found out that the Godan pronunciation is not actually the right one. So it's a bit embarrassing for. Or call us if you have any different <laughs> suggestions. Okay. So just playing this now. Support. Um, and it doesn't seem as if everybody is on the same page because you still have incident, uh, instances where people are living in hotels. We've, we've had a case recently where it was reported that one of your cabinet colleagues is, is staying in a, in a five-star hotel. Um, you still have uh, big amounts of uh, uh, money being spent on, uh, on the cars of the first ladies. So the kind of thing that you were saying in your first term already about cutting the fat and tightening belts it's still not penetrating where it should be. Yeah, but I think we must be careful not to use a couple of incidents and then generalize uh, on that basis. I know the media loves that because that sells. Um, But more generally, if you look at the period 2010 up to now, we've made huge progress. Uh, Take the area of procurement, uh, where we now have a central procurement office that sometimes frustrates people because uh, we're actually taking away opportunities for patronage. But look at the pluses. Uh, Take school book packs, for example. Uh, Last year, each pack cost some 460 rands, and you can multiply that by hundreds of thousands. And uh, as a result of centralized procurement and uh, negotiations between uh, ourselves and the Basic Education Department, and vendors, that cost of 460 came down to about 130. All right, that's billions of rounds that has been saved. The, the, the instance which actually gave rise to what we call transversal procurement uh, being scaled up for many other areas was uh, uh, the, the ARVs, where provinces were doing their own thing, so to speak. Once we centralized that with the Department of Health, they now manage this. We probably save somewhere between two and three and a half billion rands a year as a result of centralized procurement. Now, there's about a hundred areas in which that kind of procurement is actually taking place. Uh, we are now negotiating travel deals, hotel deals, etc., uh, etc. Et so the central procurement office has to save, I think it's 25 billion rands over the next three years uh, through these sorts of measures. So there might be aberrations from time to time, but if you look at the trend, we're heading in the right direction, we're getting results. Uh, It might not please everyone, uh, but by and large, uh, the 1.3 million civil servants and all the politicians that are in the system are learning to live with it. Yes, but Minister, in order for us to traverse these difficult times that you, you said that we are in, there needs to be strong messages from government frowning upon instances where there is wanton spending, where 
you know, the, 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 the messages you send out about belt tightening is infringed. But we don't get that kind of message from government that this is not tolerable. No, money and any other issue is a, is a constant struggle. So you're going to have many tugs of war, <laughs> if you like, in, in each of these areas. The message is clear and uh, most of government has been repeating it. As I said, you will get aberrations from time to time. Uh, most of you work in the private sector. Ask yourselves uh, whether it is within the Daily Maverick or elsewhere, whether everything works perfectly, everyone sticks to the rules. From time to time, you're going to get uh, people who go out and do their own thing. So try and understand that as a minority phenomenon. But uh, if we're making progress in terms of the broad direction and the thrust of what we want to do, uh, then we are satisfied that we're beginning to move uh, in, in the right kind of direction. And the public must make as much noise as possible to hold us accountable, uh, because that's what democracy is about. Uh, hold us accountable where we make mistakes. Uh, I was going to say clap us, but that doesn't sound a bit impolite. <laughs> uh, but reprimand us for, for where we make mistakes as well. And, and ensure that the dynamism that uh, should be working with a, within a democratic system actually operates. And accountability and the fear of exposure, inverted commas, is what keeps these sorts of systems uh, alive at, at the end of the day. If you as the public go to sleep and the media goes to sleep, then others will have fun. Now that applies to corporate executives, by the way, uh, or to governments. All right. So as mentioned, that was Finance Minister Pravin Goda, um, who's you know been on a bunch of a bunch of bunch of headlines over the past sort of month, six weeks, two months, um, just about this issue about him being investigated and going all the way back to the December fiasco with who is the finance minister. Um, I mean, for me, my 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 impression was, I left that sort of Q and A in the speech really feeling like that's what a public servant looks like. Um, was not afraid to delve into the details, monetary policy, fiscal policy, or the downgrades. Um, was not afraid. Was not afraid to go into extreme detail about this is the situation and this is what we're working on. Was not afraid to contextualize stuff. So when Ranjani says, "Why are you? Why are your ministers staying in hotels?" He doesn't deny it. He says, "Yes, that happened." And he goes back to the trend. He goes back to the numbers. This is how we've cut spending over the past couple of years. We are on track on our cutting spending. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying that. That is an anomaly and these are the facts. And then goes a step further and says, this is not unique to government. And he throws it back at the audience and says, hey, in your business, when you have a new HR policy, when you have a new policy, not everybody does what they're supposed to do. Most people do, not everybody. And you address the ones that don't. And, and it sort of leaves you feeling not antagonistic towards government, but saying, one, hey, these guys are working on stuff. Two, Maybe I am overreacting about some of the things I read in the papers. And three, maybe I'm being too hard on government. In my life, when I say stuff, my kids don't always listen or my, my, my employees don't always listen. Perhaps we can be soft on them. And for me, that was just such a great template of how government could respond better to allegations without being defensive, giving the facts, giving the trends, and then saying, well, on it, keep holding us accountable. I think that's that's the minister's line, right? Like he comes across as acknowledging the serious challenges that that society and the country face particularly from from the economic point of view which is his you know his baby but always being positive and looking forward to to the future to sort of a a future where together 
even under the current system, there, if people sort of come, come together in different sectors of society, do work together, particularly, you know, government and the private sector, but as well as civil society and, and a host of others, things can be achieved. They can, and this sort of sounds ridiculous to say, but it, it almost feels like he's telling us that there can be a positive future on the horizon if we work hard and work together. And I think when, when I say that now, you re- I realize sort of how, how pessimistic I think many of, many people are about the future of the country. Yeah. Um, look, it hasn't been an easy sort of six, eight months and even the last few years has been difficult. Like we we're talking about before, the many scandals going on and the, the continued high unemployment rate and, and the dwindling economy. Um, people are finding it hard to live. And he just sort of gave that, I think a little bit of inspiration almost, but because it was, it was, um, wrapped in a dose of realism, um, people find it believable. I think the irony with this sort of thing is that often people, people almost see Brown Gordon, they put him up on this pedestal almost outside the rest of the ANC government, yeah. but he's clearly an ANC, well, obviously an ANC minister. Yeah. Yet at the same time, and I think this is one of the other key themes of that interview I ran Jenny had with the minister, he is getting hounded what's perceived to be by by factions um, of the ruling party. I think this was exactly what I meant in terms of what happens when we just step beyond the the factionalism, right? So when he was asked, what do you think? Do you have support? They're hounding you, they're investigating you. He just said, well, I have my job for now. Hopefully I'll have it next week. And this is what I'm doing. And I think that's the beauty of what happens when we just step beyond, beyond the factionalism. The challenge is, I think, that Stepping beyond the factionalism is rarely an option. I think it's it, it can be so pervasive. Obviously, I think one of the messages he was trying to yeah. trying to put across is that there are many many fantastic um, civil servants and and politicians with the country's best interests at heart, and it may not um, be the overwhelming attributes that we can put down to our state um, apparatus, but. I think at the same time, it's extremely hard to ignore. But I think it's important to note as well that this... Um, so I wasn't in the crowd listening to this speech. I was sort of backstage waiting for the minister to take his photo when he, as he was walking off and get these little moments. And I did notice when he when he came off stage, after sort of choking up while while he was talking about some of these very difficult issues, it did seem like quite a quite a moment for him. Um, he was sort of... Patting, patting a tissue on his eye. His family and, and a, a colleague came backstage and, um, all sort of embraced each other and posed for photos. Um, you could tell, I think he's, he's under a lot of pressure and it really seems like he's trying his best. Unfortunately, Greg, that's all the time we have. We've probably got about 30 seconds to hear your favorite insult from the gathering. Do you have a contender that you remember? My favorite was definitely the SACP being called a spaza shop. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm about after after listening to the minister. I'm all about our positive future and how we can come together to embrace a good economy. Wow, that was terrible. Let's <laughs> continue. Yeah. Download, share the podcast. We love. I'm not you. getting elected anytime soon. See you next week. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays one to two p.m. on CliffCentral.com.